you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the August 11th edition of I Am Are You? The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out front and out loud since 1974, making this our 40th year on the air. I'm Miss Barbecue. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. On tonight's show, we have a discussion of a new report that outlines workplace barriers for LGBT youth. And I'll chat with filmmakers behind a new documentary about the real-life gay man who inspired Sidney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon. And I'll talk live in the studio with out singer, songwriter, and recording artist Dan Hogeen. And I'll be casting my lavender spotlight on the play Meet and Greet via a chat with writer Stan Zimmerman and star Carolyn Hennessy. They're both fabulous. Aren't yes. They? But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Gary Shaw. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending August 9th, 2014. Uganda tops the news again this week. Responses to the constitutional court ruling on August 1st that overturned the country's draconian anti-homosexuality law have come swiftly. The court decision did not strike a blow for LGBT equality, however. It simply overturned the law on a legal technicality, determining that Speaker Rebecca Kadaga had acted improperly by allowing the anti-homosexuality law to pass without a quorum, the minimum number of lawmakers that need to be present for a vote. The measure calls for up to life in prison for private, consensual, adult, same-gender sex, outlaws advocacy for LGBT rights, and requires citizens to report suspected homosexuals to the police. At last report, 165 members of Parliament had signed on to a petition calling for the quick reinstatement of the law. Equality activists have warned that pressure from religious leaders and the public, which overwhelmingly supports it, could prompt Parliament to act soon. Those MPs believe they can pass a waiver to reduce the number of days required to pass a law. It would normally take at least 45. But the waiver must first be signed by President Yoweri Museveni who took almost two months to sign the Anti-Homosexuality Act into law after it passed in December last year. Museveni could choose to delay a full parliamentary vote on the bill reinstating the law by forcing it to first be considered by the Chamber's Finance Committee. And as expected, Uganda Attorney General Peter Nyambi has filed an appeal of the Constitutional Court ruling with the country's Supreme Court. The law's chief sponsor, MP David Bahati, has close ties with right-wing U.S. evangelicals. He insisted this week that homosexuality is not a human right here in Uganda. BuzzFeed reported this week that the Ugandan government has also signed a one-year $600,000 contract with the Washington, D.C.-based consulting firm Mercury to help with the country's public relations problems in the U.S. 
The contract was finalized a few weeks before President Museveni visited Washington for the U.S. African Leaders Summit convened by the White House in early August. Leaders of other African countries with harsh laws criminalizing LGBT people also attended, including Nigeria's President Goodluck Jonathan, Gambian President Yaga Jame, and Cameroonian President Paul Biya. Several human rights activists criticized U.S. President Barack Obama for not raising the issue of LGBT rights, or at least not doing so publicly during the summit. Even without the anti-homosexuality law, same-gender sex is still illegal in Uganda. Existing statutes punish convictions with lengthy jail terms. Defying the hostility that surrounds them, but after organizers got permission from police officials, about 100 courageous Ugandans attended a peaceful, invitation-only LGBT pride party on a beach in Entebbe on August 9th. There was no police presence, but there were also no counter-protesters. With music, dancing, and laughter, activists gathered in a park on the shores of Lake Victoria, close to the country's presidential palace. Some wore masks to conceal their identities, but at least one celebrant had a sticker pasted to the side of his face that read, Some Ugandans are gay. Get over it. In other news, a three-judge panel of the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, heard six consolidated marriage equality cases from four states, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee, on August 6th. One of the three judges is an outspoken liberal, and another is a well-known conservative. So the swing vote appears to be that of Judge Jeffrey S. Sutton, an appointee of President George W. Bush and former law clerk for the ultra-conservative Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Early in the proceedings, Sutton interrupted an attorney from Michigan who was arguing that the state has an interest in fostering heterosexual marriage for the good of children. Maybe originally marriage was about procreation, Sutton said. But today it's really about love, affection, and commitment. However, he later worried about courts overruling popular votes. Sutton asked an attorney fighting Michigan's marriage ban, Don't you think you're more likely to change hearts and minds using the democratic process? The court heard the Michigan case first, followed by two Ohio cases, then two Kentucky cases, and finally the Tennessee case. Rulings are not expected to be announced for at least a few weeks. The Sixth Circuit is the third federal appeals court this year to hear challenges to lower court decisions declaring state bans on civil marriage for same-gender couples unconstitutional. Three judge panels of two other circuits, the Fourth in Richmond, Virginia, and the Tenth in Denver, Colorado, each ruled two to one earlier this year that last year's U.S. Supreme Court Windsor ruling striking down a law that had banned the federal government from recognizing legally married same-gender couples opened the door to state civil marriage equality. The Fourth Circuit specifically overturned Virginia's ban, but the decision also impacted the states of North Carolina, South Carolina, and West Virginia, over which the court has jurisdiction. Maryland, which is also covered by Fourth Circuit rulings, has already enacted marriage equality. The Tenth Circuit ruling struck down the bans in Oklahoma and Utah, but similarly affects bans in Colorado, Kansas, New Mexico, and Wyoming. Officials in Virginia are appealing the Fourth Circuit ruling to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the states of Oklahoma and Utah are filing similar challenges to the Tenth Circuit decision. The justices, however, are not required to hear any appeals. Unless there is at least one conflicting appeals court ruling, some analysts say the high court may simply let state marriage equality bans be overturned in all 11 federal circuits, which could still take years. If you want to mark your calendar, the Seventh Circuit in Chicago is scheduled to hear arguments on civil marriage equality bans in Wisconsin and Indiana on August 26th. 
and the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco is set to review Idaho's and Nevada's bans on September 8th. There have now been rulings by four county judges in Florida striking down the ban on civil marriage equality in that state. A Florida Key Circuit Court judge issued the first salvo on July 17th. A Miami-Dade County judge overturned the ban on July 26th. A Broward County judge then ruled the ban unconstitutional on August 4th, and a Palm Beach County judge followed suit the following day. Florida's Republican Attorney General Pam Bondi has already appealed the first two rulings, thus preventing any same-gender couple in Florida from legally marrying. She issued a statement late this week asking that no further marriage equality rulings be handed down in the state, arguing that the U.S. Supreme Court must ultimately decide the matter. And finally, according to a story on the UK's LGBT Pink News website, the Russian creators of a Truth or Dare-style card game, labeled as suitable for players age 12 and up, have been fined for promoting non-traditional sexual relations to minors, a violation of the controversial national law signed last year by Russian strongman Vladimir Putin. Some of the cards apparently dared players to pretend to be in a relationship with an action figure or with another player. A so-called expert psychologist testified that the game would have a negative effect on the psychosexual personality development of children. Its creators were fined 45,000 rubles, equivalent to about 742 British pounds, or a little more than 1,230 U.S. dollars. The game has also been yanked from toy store shelves. Pink News also reported on a toy pencil sharpener that mocks President Putin, with the likeness of his head at one end, and an opening in the rear for pencils to be inserted. That's News Wrap for the week ending August 9th, 2014. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap was written by Greg Gordon, recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles, and produced by Steve Pride. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Gary Shaw. You can hear more news wrap in all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out on free podcasts and Stitcher Radio on Demand at this way and at thiswayout.org or on iTunes. Lots of choices, guys. <laughs> Lots of choices. So also, many. Also on the program this week, Death by Ambassador, a numbers game, and the Ebola Solution Mix for a homophobic evangelical three-way. A trans poet reinterprets the Bible and how lesbians get out of crazy-making relationships. You know, I gotta say, Greg promised this week it was less of a riddle. <laughs> I'm not a sure. That was a lot to just read just now. It's I think. a total koan. Okay, so last month, the Center for American Progress, an independent nonpartisan educational institute, issued a report that outlines workplace barriers for LGBT youth and recommends policy changes. And our pal Brittany Sheets from the show Union Edge interviewed Sarah Odlow, the policy director for Generation Progress, just last week and files this report. You better work. Today, what we're going to be talking about, recent numbers that have come out about millennials and youth and just some job numbers. Because being this age, it's not the easiest to necessarily always go out there and find a job too quickly. You are exactly right. If you look at the unemployment numbers across the country, we are not doing so hot. It's getting much better, to be honest, from where we were at four years ago. But anytime we're looking at a lot of these numbers, it is worse off for young people. So in general, whatever you see the national unemployment rates, the unemployment rates for young people are usually about twice as high. And so right now, the youth unemployment rate, as in for 16 to 24-year-olds, it is 13.6%. And so it went up just a bit 
but is looking much better than four years ago. Something that you know we've been watching quite a bit at Generation Progress is not just the youth unemployment rate, but also what do these numbers look like for specific communities. So for African-American young people, unfortunately, those numbers tend to be even higher. So for this cycle, it's actually about 24 percent, which is really, <laughs> really wow. bad. And it just shows yeah. us that we need to do additional um, investment in working with African-American youth to make sure they're able to get good jobs. And unfortunately, this is all too common for these racial and ethnic breakdowns to reflect who exactly we're leaving behind and too frequently as African-American youth. You did a report on LGBT youth, and there's definitely some economic hardships in that situation also. The really hard thing about some of this data is it's really hard to come by. And so, you know, if we're trying to figure out what is the unemployment rate for LGBT youth, that can be much tougher to determine because there's no really good data out there that breaks down by sexual orientation or gender identity as well as age, what unemployment rates are. But if we are to look at certain things, like if you look at the LGBT population and looking at young people versus the general population, it's a much younger population. It's also much more diverse. And so we know that there's more people of color who identify as being as LGBT. Um, But something that we did see in this report and that I think should be really concerning for so many of us, especially because we know people are coming out younger and younger. They are facing like better environments than just even 10 years ago. However, if you were to look and see who's out in the workplace, only 5% of 18 to 24-year-olds are out in the workplace compared to about 32% of their older counterparts. So I think this is just, you know, given the high unemployment rates young people are already facing, if we know so many LGBT youth who are coming out to their communities are not coming out in the workforce, we have a major problem on our hands. One of the reasons that we decided to write this report is because we are hearing anecdotally from queer youth who are saying, I was involved in all these LGBT activities when I was in high school and college, but I am taking them off my resume. And so my resume doesn't look as strong as it could because I'm afraid of what a potential employer might think if they see I was doing all of this LGBT work. And so that was like how this, honestly, this report started to come together of like, oh, like we have to think about you know, the already high unemployment rates that exist among young people, the fact that there are so many young people who are graduating with high levels of student debt, and what does that mean on their ability to support themselves and their families. So yeah, let's look at, you know, some racial and um, ethnic subgroups and, and look at folks by sexual orientation and gender identity to see, like, what are all these barriers that people face? Because, I mean, if if you are a queer black young person who has demographically already higher amounts of unemployment, you hate to say it, but like we shouldn't be having young people who are making their resumes look weaker because they're afraid of how employers might react. That's why we put this report out and hopefully it'll get some more conversation happening about how we have to care about how young people are supporting themselves and especially queer youth. The fact that people are having to go back in the closet to try to find jobs is just incredible. And especially in 2014, especially when we know that so many young people are coming out much younger to have to recloset yourself is absolutely horrific. And so hopefully this report will help to start a conversation about what LGBT youth need to be able to have good jobs so that they can support themselves. Now in this report, I said at the end of it, you guys had a couple recommendations that you think might help these individuals in trying to get jobs out there and just kind of get their foot in the door and just, just basically try and start making a life for themselves beyond their education. 
We definitely did. I mean, some of the things that were included in the report are, one, to pass federal legislation that bans employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, the president's executive order that came out a few weeks ago related to federal contractors was a really awesome step in the right direction. And now we need Congress to do their part so we can make sure that all employees are protected. Another thing that we discussed in the report is to do things like expanding the earned income tax credit, which has been incredibly important for lifting young parents out of poverty. But for those who don't have kids yet and those who are under the age of 25, expanding EITC for childless workers and lowering that age eligibility would be really important. And obviously, this, you know, if you're talking about LGBT youth, this would be something really important to do for that population. We also included things in there like raising the minimum wage because, as we know, the minimum wage has not been increased in years, and we need to make sure that people – I mean, it's ridiculous that you could work full-time and still not be able to support yourself. So raising the minimum wage is something that would help all Americans, but we argue in particular young people who are the majority of minimum wage earners and especially would help LGBT youth. I have one thing to say. You better work. And then, of course, when you gay and old, you abandon the workplace entirely. <laughs> oh, my mm. goodness. It, it's, it's true. Young, young black, honey, you have an all the harder luck, man. I know. Well, I, I want to give a quick shout out to the reporter, Brittany Sheets, who does the show Union Edge on the Pacifica affiliate stations. Thank and you, And if you Brittany. want more information on the report or the Center for American Progress, it can be found on their website, AmericanProgress.org. The term stranger than fiction is, you know, often very overused, but in the case of the late John Wadowitz, it's really just unavoidable. All in all, August 22nd, 1972 was a summer day just like any other summer day. Hot, humid, close, with everyone trying to get a bit of relief from the oppressive heat and humidity. And then it happened. At 2.58 p.m. that afternoon, two men entered a bank in Brooklyn and began what turned out to be the most sensational, most bizarre, most unbelievable bank robbery in the history of crime. I'm Frank Rodron, one of the two directors of the documentary The Dog. And I'm Alison Berg, the other director of The Dog. The Dog is about a man called John Wadowitz who uh, attempted to rob a bank in Brooklyn in 1972 to pay for his lover's sex change operation. And that story, if it sounds familiar, it's because it became Sidney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino. You know something, people? You're going to be remembered the rest of your lives for the day you got held up and kidnapped. We made history here. Al Pacino. Dog Day Afternoon. A true story. And our film, The Dog, is the story of the real-life bank robber. All right, Polish, you got to move back. The more visible bank robber is 27-year-old John Wojtowicz, an out-of-work New York City resident and an admitted homosexual who left his wife and two children three years ago. You know, a lot of people have asked us if the makers of Dog Day Afternoon had ever met John Wadowitz, and they hadn't. Frank Pearson had tried to visit him in prison a number of times and was turned away. So we watched them meet for the first time, and the dog's real issue was the line, Attica, Attica, because he never said it, and it's the most famous line from Dog Day Afternoon. But because they were able to get interviews with the other people in John's life and they had the actual news footage of the bank robbery, it was incredible how close to John's real-life character Frank Pearson got. Why this film? Why did you become involved with this story? We both loved Dog Day Afternoon. We were watching it one day and just found ourselves thinking at the end, like, wow, I really wonder what happened to that guy. 
And we thought also that at the time he was about to come out of prison, we just sort of miscalculated based on the card that's at the end of the film. So we got very excited about that and thought it was going to be a film where we would meet him in prison maybe and film him getting back into real life. To, to make a long story short, we found out he'd been out for a long time, but we did look him up. And when we met him in person, which was a few weeks later, he was instantly sort of unrestrained and very manic and lovable but a little bit creepy and all those things and we spent a whole day with him i think at that moment we knew okay like forget dog day afternoon this man is very interesting as a subject and has many layers to his story and his personality to us that just pulled us in i mean he was charismatic i would say yeah and it was also covering a place and a time and a certain character that we were both really interested in we wanted to revisit the 70s and revisit this bank robbery and there's sort of a disappearing new york in a sense a certain type of character a kind of messy less sanitized version of somebody and and that was the dog and we met him he likes to push people's buttons and he's hilarious and, um, I mean, I think for some people, they wouldn't want to spend day and night with this guy. But for some reason, Frank and I just decided we did. What was your biggest surprise about John? His appetite in every sense of the word. His appetite for sex, for food, for his energy. Just you can't believe like what you see on camera. That's how he really was. I think also perhaps his openness is something that was really striking, meaning, you know, when he spoke, he said what was on his mind at all times in any situation. He kind of lived as if his actions had no consequences, and it's it's not necessarily a good thing, but I think his openness made a lot of his questionable behavior okay, because in what he did, you would always find something that made you go like, yeah, he's right, I agree with that. But in life, he also made some very poor choices, like robbing a bank. But his reasons were often, you know, things you can really argue with in a way, in a theoretical way. Right. The fact that he was so unfiltered, that's a word that comes up a lot about the dog. And I think that a lot of people look at the way he lived his life and they think, okay, I wouldn't have made the same choices. But his outspokenness, I think people appreciate because there's so few people that live their life that way. In Dog Day Afternoon, Patina's character is presented as more bisexual than gay. What about John? You have to remember when Dog Day Afternoon was made, and you have to remember it was Al Pacino who had just played, he was just in The Godfather. I mean, even today, it's almost hard to imagine like an A-list Hollywood actor who would take on a part like that. I don't know what choices were made when they were shooting or writing, but it was played as a straight man who's sort of like, oh, you know, well, he's got a wife and kids. He just, you know, he likes the boys on the side or something. So it made it okay for a wider heterosexual audience as a story. I think in real life, clearly, I mean, John was completely gay. He wasn't even bi. I mean, there's a lot of talk about his ex-wife, Carmen, that he kept writing to for years and years and all that. But my experience of it was John was clearly gay, you know. In your film, the biggest surprise for me was that prior to the robbery, John was involved in GAA, Gay Activist Alliance, including demonstrations for same-sex marriage and even his own extravagant same-sex wedding with Ernie or Liz. I think that really surprised us in the making of our film because we didn't know that we had the footage we had. 
there's somebody in our film, Randy Wicker, who's a gay rights activist and journalist, and he started with Mattachine. I mean, he's one of the first. And he had filmed John and Liz's wedding, and he'd filmed the Marriage Bureau protest, and he gave Frank the footage. And when we finally got it transferred, we didn't know John was in the footage, and Randy didn't remember it either. So even though we knew he was part of this movement, he became part of it more for sexual reasons than political reasons, and then he got more and more involved. But we didn't know to what extent we would have the material to have in our film. So that was like a great surprise for us because I think a lot of people appreciate that part of the film. John would boast a lot about a lot of things. He liked to be the center of the story. But when you look at that footage, when you see what he did, you're like, I mean, indeed, he was way ahead of his time. I think for John, it came from a place also of his background being this Italian-American kid from Brooklyn who was raised Catholic and... When he met Liz, you know, he fell in love real quick, and immediately he wanted this wedding ceremony. I think he was just that guy. Like, a lot of people were debating it. John was more of a hands-on, you know, I got to do this guy. And John didn't want her to have the sex reassignment surgery, but it's what Liz really wanted. And he's like, I'm going to love you no matter what gender you are, who you are, what you look like. I mean, he was in love with Liz. And also, I think he's one of those guys that the second he meets somebody and falls in love with them, that's it. And that's what happened with Liz. And if Liz wanted to make a major change in her life, he was still going to be in love with her. What happened after the bank robbery? John was imprisoned. And while he was in prison, he met his third wife, George. Also, while he was in prison is when Dog Day Afternoon, he, you know, he signed the contract. He actually could care less about a movie being made about what happened. But he signed the contract because... He was going to be given some money, and he was able to give that money to Liz for the sex change operation. And so, in a strange sense, he did succeed. The bank holdup is underway at this time in the Chase Manhattan Bank branch at Avenue P and East 3rd Street in Brooklyn. What's going on now? We're waiting to negotiate the release of the people so we can get out of here. What are your terms for release? Well, I want them to deliver my wife here from Kings County Hospital. Uh, his name is Ernest Aaron. It's a guy. I'm gay. This has been a conversation with Allison Berg and Frank Karajan, directors of The Dog. John Waterwitz was released from prison in 1978 after serving six years of a 20-year sentence, and he died of cancer in 2006 at the age of 60. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. I don't want to be right If it means being without you I don't want to be right If it means sleeping at night I don't want to be right If loving you is wrong I don't want to be right The Dog is currently playing at the Cinema Family Theater and at the Downtown Independent here in Los Angeles. For a theater closer to you, check out online the drafthousefilms.com website. Well, it's nice to know that he still got that sex change operation after all. And then his next wife was named George, who met in prison. I love that, that yeah, tag there. Yeah, I love that. You know, there's one thing that wasn't in it that's a, my favorite thing in the documentary is that when he got out of prison, and he was looking for work. He went 
to the bank that he had robbed and applied for a security job. <laughs> That's ironic. He, thought, he said, I know all about your security. <laughs> uh, he knows all about it because I, I robbed your bank in the first place. My shame is so bottomless, I never saw Dog Day Afternoon. You never saw the <laughs> no, movie? No, I, I feel terrible. Oh, my mom used to play it all the time. I wonder, well, I wonder why she used to play it now. That explains so much. Hmm. So anyway, later I will be talking to Sam Zimmerman, who is a writer for Golden Girls and Roseanne, and Carolyn Hennessy, who you recognize from True Blood and General Hospital, about their show Meet and Greet, a delightful cavalcade of egos run rampant currently at the Asylum Theater on Santa Monica. Yes, and after the break, we'll be joined live in the studio by out-recording artist Dan Hugin. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Dreaming of a Gay Olympics, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. The concept of a gay Olympics is credited to a competitor in the 1968 Olympics named Dr. Tom Waddell. But in 1982, just three weeks before the first gay Olympics was to take place in San Francisco, the United States Olympic Committee obtained a restraining order forbidding the use of the word Olympics. Although the committee had not objected to the use of the word in events like the Nebraska Rat Olympics, the Crab Cooking Olympics, or even the Nude Olympics, Waddell lost his fight in a 1987 decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. So he named his event the Gay Games. Still one of the largest sporting events in the world, Waddell's mission continues to educate people through sport in the spirit of better understanding. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Dustin Richardson. Hi, I'm Stan Zimmerman, writer-producer of Golden Girls, Roseanne, and Rita Rocks. Hey, this is Carolyn Hennessy, and you may recognize me from True Blood, General Hospital, Cougar Town. If you're young, you might recognize me from Jesse. And you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, now in its 40th year. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Miss Barbecue. You know, before we go any further, I want to send love to the family and the friends and the fans of Robin Williams. Yes. We interviewed him eight years ago for IMRU, and that was when he started the film adaptation of Armistead Muffins and Night Listener, which he played a gay radio host. And I felt very specially connected to that film and to him. He was a wonderful, sweet, and brilliant man. And to Robin, Nanu Nanu. Yeah. Rest in peace, Robin. The time is now seven thirty, and the and the and the um. Oh goodness! What's next? <laughs> we're going right in. <laughs> we're going to go right into our in-house guest, Dan Hugin, who's right here in the studio. Well, that explains the guy with the guitar and all the equipment. I yeah, guess. I know, I right? Know. Exactly. I'm so I'm so happy to have I you here. I still understand the nudity. Why is he naked? <laughs> <laughs> don't question this it. Is, Just go yeah. with it. This is radio. This is radio. So, Dan, we're happy to have you in the studio. Thank you so much. Let's jump right into the questions. Well, my first question is: When and why did you start playing? When and why? Yeah. When I started playing with music when I was eight. I found a Casio keyboard. Someone had it in the house, one of my cousins. And um, I started to make additional keyboard sounds to remixes on the radio that what, I thought would... What, what, what was the first first tune you learned? On the keyboard? Yeah. Probably Paula Abdul's Promise of a New Day. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, a, a real, a real artistic thing there. Um, Paula Abdul's promise of a new day. Yeah, because the remix on the cassette tape, I really wasn't happy with it. I thought they could have done better, so I just got out the keyboard and started doing it back then. Yeah. And 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 from that, you just started started going more into music and more and more. Or yeah, um, I did whatever I could get my hands on, you know, um, and played whatever I could. That was around the house. My grandfather had a guitar, so. I looked at that. Uh-huh. I was intimidated by the guitar for a number of years, and I didn't Were start you? playing until I was nineteen. Yeah. So, 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 what, what did you basically stick with? You stuck with piano mostly, vocal stuff. I really oh. didn't even start playing piano until about two thousand nine. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I just sang, and I really didn't even know I could sing until I joined choir in high school, and then oh, I was like, wow. Oh, I I like this. So it's a total opposite way. You started singing first, then you got into the instruments and stuff. I don't know if it's an opposite. It's just kind of like the way I started, like you learn to walk, you know? Not yeah. everyone walks the same way, but exactly. we all are, you know, all musicians or whatever make music or noise. How often, how long do you practice now? You know, whenever I feel like it. I'm not one of those people who are always at the keyboard or the guitar. It always means more and it always comes out better when I feel it in my heart first. So. Yeah. Um, lately, I've been feeling a lot of things in my heart. So, that's what you told me earlier. You told me earlier you had a weird day or had a weird dance. So, what happened just, today? I mean, I, I was actually. I mean, it was great. It was a, it was a beautiful day. It was just jam packed. You know, chock it's, full. Yeah, it, this year is definitely different than last year. Last year, I kind of went through a dark period. And this year um, is a lot more light, and with a lot more light comes a lot more hurdles. Yeah. So um, my legs are getting stronger every day. Well, amen. So. <laughs> amen. And, and uh, one, one more question um, before, before you go into the music. Mm-hmm. What famous musicians do you admire? Admire? Yeah. Um, I always like to ask musicians that. I... Oh my God, that's such an interesting question. I don't have any of his records, but I I think Prince is cool. Oh, really? And that's so weird. Like I don't have. Actually, I do have a record, but I've never listened to it all the way through. Really? I've just because he's so funky. You he's know he's amazing. I mean? like, he doesn't have any rules. So I guess to answer your question, all of my musicians that I look up to break the rules yeah. musically, um, stylistically, right. genre crossing. I love Bjork. Yeah, Real I love her. hard pieces like that. And I love real acoustic musicians like Jewel and anyone that can just sit down with an instrument and not have to do we're lights and do stuff. All that kind not of like st- we're doing here today with my eight dancers. Eight dancers in a fog machine and everything. Yeah, my tour bus is outside. So, <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> so, so you're going to play something for us? Yeah, I'm going to play um, a song called Heaven Help Me Now. And, nice. Um, I'd like to dedicate it to Robin Williams and anyone who's uh, struggling or fighting depression right yeah. now, too. So. I guess I'll go into it. Yes. Walk over to our streamlined modern studio. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here to present to you Mr. Dan Hogan.
now I am so programmed I am half human Heaven help me now I am so sick of losing weight and doing drugs Heaven help me now Heaven help me now Heaven help me now Heaven help me now Help me now amazing we watched him create the backup singers and yes. the backup band what is yes. this witchery yeah <laughs> it's like oh my gosh I'm a magician oh my gosh that was amazing thank that was you. amazing to, well, to thank to, you to see you build it all up and stuff yeah it, so i don't know if like the radio people come i came in here with a looping station which is kind of like a real-time radio like record like recording studio pretty much so yeah i made all of those sounds and harmonies right here live in front of in front of, right in front of us. He, it, it was, it was like, we're like, what is he doing? So, so who are you listening to lately? Lately, um, who have I been listening to? Yeah. Um, 
Shelby Lynn. Yeah. Uh, Jamestown Revival. Really? Uh-huh. Um, Radiohead. And nice. It's so weird. Like, and then, It's eclectic. Like, yeah, and then like I was, I was TLC. Looking, I, was, I was looking at your I was, TLC. <laughs> yes. We can't go wrong with TLC. I was looking at I was looking at your Facebook page, mm. and uh, and I, I saw that you had like Tori Amos on there, and mm. you, had, you, had, you had a couple of likes for some some mm-hmm. artists. You have Bjork on there too, mm-hmm. and, and I was I was trying to trying to get a get a finger on what kind of genre that you do, and I realize now you transcend. You transcend genres, boo. Well, thank you. You transcend genres. Congratulations. He's breaking the rules. Weren't you paying attention? Yes, he's breaking the rules. (laughs) I I, I have another question for you. Are there any songs that you wish you hadn't done? Had not done? Had not done. No. They're all my babies. They're all your babies. Yeah. You know those Debbie Boone covers? Debbie Boone. Um, you might have the re- the wrong Dan Holgein, but Ready? I'm the only one. So, and it's and and and, and, and to put it out there, it's thedanholgein.com, right? It's just danholgein.com. Dan, Dan oh, his, Dan your Instagram Holgein. is the Dan. Holgein. Yeah, and Instagram and Twitter is the Dan. The Dan Holgein. Yeah. Now, now, what's up? What's up next for you? Um, I have a show coming up at Room Five on September. 7th and I go on at 8.15. Where, where is where's Room 5 Room at? 5 is um, Los Angeles and it's on La Brea. You can go to my website. It's got all the information there. The address and time starts. So danholgeen.com. Thanks you guys so much for having me today. Oh my it goodness. was a blast and to play you, for you. You, um, you surpassed our expectations hey of now. course. Hey. Of course you always do. So It was it, delightful and it was magical to watch you do that song all by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was amazing. Incredible. Thank you. Interpretive dance part in the middle with the guitar Car was just yeah. like the soleil. And it's Is there nothing selling. the man can't yeah, do? Piku. Thank Piku. you, Dan. Oh Piku. my goodness! So there's fog, fog, and everything's still going on. And so, well, thank- I think as we all know, Monday is the night that theatricals take off to rest up. But we, were we told had the, that, yes, yes, we were told that. Mm-mm. But we had the good fortune mm-hmm. to have Stan Zimmerman and Carolyn Hennessy drop by the studio yesterday to discuss their new show, Meet and Greet, with us. Let's listen to what they had to say. I feel it's my duty to tell you it's time to adjust to your age. You try to be peg of my heart when you're Lady Macbeth. Exactly how old are you, Vera? The truth. How old do you think? Oh, I'd say somewhere in between 40 and death. What can be more fun than a room full of actresses? That question is rhetorical because <laughs> nothing is more fun than a room full of actresses. And on that note, we've brought in the people behind Meet and Greet, mm. the darling of the Hollywood Fringe that is reopened for a run through September 21st at the Theater Asylum. We have the writer and director, Stan Zimmerman. Welcome. Thank you. And one of the delightful, delicious actresses, Carolyn Hennessy. Welcome. Thank you very much, Russell. Could one of you describe this show in a nutshell? Because I don't want to give too much away. Do you want to handle that? Oh, Jesus. Mon- First of all, director. I did co-write it with Christian McLaughlin, who is my weekend writing partner. Anyway, it's about four actresses of a certain age that end up in the casting office of a major network when they're all up for the same part on a sitcom pilot. And we should say that they are disparate type actresses. And how would you describe these four types? Well, let's see. There is a Broadway legend. That, that would be... be- well, I just... You have to you guess. Know, <laughs> really? Uh, there is the 15 Minutes of Fame reality star, kind um, of a Nene Leakes-esque. Yes, Danielle Gaither from Mad TV plays her. There he is. Teresa Genzel plays one of a pair of actresses who had a sitcom 
let's say, 15 years ago, and she went the bubbly QVC hostess route. Suzanne while, Summers way. Exactly, yes. 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 While Vicki Lewis plays the slightly Margot Kidderish route. With a little Roseanne thrown yeah, in, little, which little, I know a little bit about. Yeah, a little bipolar. We, a little bipolar yeah. and a few mm-hmm. different personalities she yeah. speaks to, mm-hmm. which yeah. I did steal from Roseanne. Another character we have in the show is the casting assistant. The casting assistant. Right. And any actor knows you walk in and the person you must deal with is yes. a snippy gay casting assistant. Yes. And we get so lucky and we have Brendan Robinson from Pretty Little Liars doing the part in our full run and he is so fantastic in the show and we're blessed. When we first wrote the play we had a reading in my living room and Carolyn came and read Margot. And, um, I've been with the show from the very, beginning. very first. And she was so great because she's just like I believe in this piece. We're going to make this happen. And every time you know, we didn't think it would get together She'd buck us up, and we got there, and we got to Fringe, and that was just a crazy sold-out run. And I don't know if you know anything about Fringe, but you get 15 minutes to put the show up and take it down. Well, now, even though you do have a male casting assistant, the show is basically women being horrible to each other. Horrible to each other, about each other, yeah. when they're not in the room. But um, also, they but come then together. Ultimately, ultimately there's a very interesting twist, which we won't talk about, but... No. Even before the twist happens, there's a lot of bonding that happens. And there's some camaraderie and some finding of mutual levels. So The show has, as I was watching, I thought, wow, this show has a great gay sensibility. But the lead characters are not gay. And then I had to ask myself, what does gay sensibility mean? And then I thought, I'll ask the man who wrote it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> really I get that question gay? all the yeah. time with Golden Girls. Right. Um, I think it's just the perspective that I see the world. And it comes from, you know, growing up, obviously being scared of being gay, and then the whole coming out process, and then finding theater and finding great women to write for. And it's just looking at life, you know, for me in a very upbeat kind of way. Not being gay. If you were to judge what the gay sensibility is from this play, it is larger than life, keep going. And humor. And, and they look fabulous. And, and we, thinking about uh, yeah. that, maybe that's part of the gay sensibility. Living through the AIDS crisis, we still had to come through with humor and class yeah. and dignity and fantastic looks. Well, now, when you have that many women who are, I mean, you're all such dynamic women. you all got very legitimate big careers. Right. And you're on a very small stage with, I'm sure, a very small backstage. What is the dynamic like back there? I Believe it or not, there is there is no ego that actually follows us into the theater. Not one of these women. That's not going to sell tickets. It's, well, Come on, right. we want to hear that I, you're I'm t- scratching because, and pulling Yeah, I know, I know you do. But here's the deal. And it's because of that that we are having so much fun on stage. It is four women who relish each other and crack each other up. And it's that, and that's the thing that we take on stage. And seeing the run of it, you see them getting tighter and closer and finding little things. Ugh, every night, I every go, night. oh my God. It's just getting richer and deeper as we run. It and for a writer and a director, that is so super exciting too. And once you ended up with the final cast, did you then craft the characters around the people you chose because they do look like they were all pretty much people have asked that they said you must have written it for these four women, but we didn't. I believe for each of the women and and Brendan as the casting director, the roles. You would have thought that we had written these roles ourselves, but we didn't. But we fell into them so quickly and so easily that rehearsal, it was like it was so easy. Rehearsal was just blocking came easy. Memorization came easy. It was just, it was It was a joy. Fantastic. (laughs) When you first went to write this show, what made you think, I want to put it in a casting office at a network? Because it's not an environment a lot of people know. Even a lot of actors in L.A. have never been in one, actually. 
And um, and yet, it seems like a rather universal show regardless it of the stage. It does. Yeah. I had been directing a lot of revivals. And then I was in New York having martinis with uh, Larry Hirshhorn, who's won like three Tonys in a row for producing Gentleman's Guide and Vanya Sonia. And he said, write something like Neil Simon about your life. And I'm like, no one cares about my life. I go to the theater, and I'm in the middle of the play, and I think, oh, my God, not my life, but the world that I'm in and casting and doing sitcoms. And then this whole idea just came to me, and I called Christian at intermission, and I said, would this be a good play? And he's like, fantastic. Get back here so we can start writing it. And it just poured out of us. The fact that we as sitcom writers and producers make actors who are competing sit in a room together, it's a horrible thing. But you've actually hit on a wonderful point. It's a very specific world. But believe me, I have asked people who have come to the show. It's like, did you get this? And they, oh, no, no, no. We got everything. Even if we didn't get the reference, we got the spirit. And this could play in Paducah, Kentucky. Trust me. And if you don't know what a casting office is like, this is a great primer. This is a fabulous primer. Now, do you have plans for the show after it closes this time? Do you want to reopen it? It's not going to close. We are (laughs) scheduled now through September 21st, but we are hoping that just word of mouth keeps growing and we've been having great sold out audiences and that um, we can maybe extend for another eight weeks or move to a bigger theater we would love to go to New York we would love off Broadway um, that's my dream that's the question I had when I was watching it because I've seen it through a reading and then at the fringe and then this how do you keep that many people with major careers together I think they believe in the piece and uh, especially Carolyn. I have never believed in a piece as strongly mm-hmm. as I have believed in this piece. Start to finish, and there is no finish. So from the, from the very beginning. The funniest play I have ever been in, in my life. There is actually a sitcom that could come out of this. We've had a few people come Believe up to me. us and say, couldn't this be a sitcom? Well, and-, and not even necessarily this premise, but these characters together it's Golden Girls 2014, you know? Yeah. And what would you like people to walk away with when they, when they leave meet and greet? Oh, with I would like them to be on their cell phones immediately <laughs> calling their friends Texting, saying, talking. saying, I have just experienced a new term that I, that I heard today yeah. when, you, when it's like, are you just going to pee in your pants? Bladder glitter. I love that. <laughs> um, I would like I would like all the seats to be covered in bladder glitter. Well, and I am so thrilled that you use this show to introduce the term bladder glitter. <laughs> bladder the glitter. world because and I, th- I th- because you. to believe it or not I think I think the gay audience will love the term bladder glitter oh we're loving yes. it already yes. <laughs> so you're running through September 21st until you decide to extend at the theater asylum and the website for tickets is theater asylum la.com correct yes is there anything else people should Fridays know about and getting Saturdays in? at eight Sundays at four. four so you'll be dashing off to do a matinee we she I'm will gonna be. I'm gonna be, I have to I, I must go home and primp I was so tired after last night's show, and uh, and I just came home. I was so tired that I just didn't even take my eyeshadow off. Next step, Baby Jane Hudson. Baby Jane Hudson. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in, you two. Stan Zimmerman and Carolyn Hennessy, it was delightful to talk to you. Thank you, Thank you for Wendell. having us. And this is Wenzel Jones for IMRU. Remember that who else but a poor somebody will send out a level and give you the devil will. And if that doesn't make you want to go see the show, <laughs> I do not know what will. Well, Sundays at 4 sounds like something I can totally do. It's great. And it's a short show. It's 80 minutes long, no intermission. I oh, went with awesome. you, and I literally peed my pants. Oh. And, that was just, <laughs> and that was just in your car. And what you mean is you made bladder glitter. I made bladder, bladder glitter. glitter. Yeah. <laughs>
That is awesome. <laughs> well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take Tim Pellicles by the hand, and exit to the far, far left of the tram's forward motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Michelle Marie Gilkerson, coordinating producer Steve Pride, assistant director Chris Ann Eastwood, and our Rainbow Minute producers Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. <laughs> and to our guests, Sarah Adelo, Allison Berg, and Frank Kerrigan. Stan Zimmerman, Carolyn Hennessy, and of course, Dan Hugin. You kind of made a lot of wonderful people in tonight, didn't you? I know, we I did. Know. It was chock full, man. And if you have comments, stories, suggestions, or makeup tips, tweet us or follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio or contact us directly via email at IMRU Radio at IMRUradio.org. IMRU is simulcast and available on demand at KPFK.org, and I post it, a link every. Tuesday by noon on our Facebook page, so check there as well. So every Tuesday, look for that link. Now, we do have one calendar item that we do want we want to put in there. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, this third-party confessions, the story of one man told by seven of his closest friends. It's funny, shocking, sexy, queer, heartbreaking, musical, and above all, true. It's this Friday at 8.30 p.m. at the one and only Spirit Silver Studio Silver Lake, written and directed by Martin Maramos. And okay, okay, okay. You can get all that information on our Facebook page. Yes, I yes. posted it on there. Tolerate you not going to our Facebook page. Yes. Because we're not doing calendar tonight. We may not next week. We posted so a bunch of stuff on our Facebook we're page. We're still posting all these things on the Facebook page, so I hope you will go there. And yes. like it while you're and there. And like tomorrow the gay there. game start. Chris Ann wanted to make sure I mentioned that. That's right, the gay game we're start. We're going to close with a song so damn beautiful from so damn wonderful Dan Holguin. Yes, good night, guys. Good night. I hope this doesn't scare you I can't run from the truth You know how I feel I'm trying to deal with Falling out of my blood And I can't believe how you've already Broken down my guard Using brick after brick Building wall after wall I used to run from them all And now I see so clearly Crying and swaying These days I often write what I should be saying If I lit this book on fire and threw it past my heart's desire It would be the shooting star I would use in this could start But you think he's perfect and every word he says is so damn beautiful I cannot keep this inside My fists all clenched up I'm bound and tied by my feet I know he's what you want But I'm right here And I could be Exactly what you need So when you need me, could you please be helpless and alone? So I can break your fall and repair it all, no matter how bad the day.
damage Then I can pretend when you take my hand You finally come to your senses I've got to call you my own I've lost control I knew this would happen These pages are cages of rages I've never said until now I'm about to uncover the worst thing I've ever harbored Two journals later and I'm only better at compromise There's no more fear, there's just that line I wish you'd find But you think he's perfect And every word he says is so damn beautiful I cannot keep this inside My fists all clenched up, I'm bound and tied by my feet I know he's what you want, but I'm right here And I could be exactly what you But you think he's perfect And I just heard he belongs to you now As I stand in this hall I see your light on You're getting ready to go to his house Quietly screaming My dreams just keep bleeding Why can't you see I'm exactly what you I'm not perfect, but I could make your world so damn beautiful.